Thanks, Daniel. My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. It's a joy to welcome all of you here this morning, and also a word of welcome to those of you who are watching online. I want to take a look at a story this morning. It's from the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's a relatively short story. It's only five verses long, so not a, not a real long story, but it's also... I would say it's a strange story. I can remember the first time that I read this story, and and I got to the end of it, and I just thought to myself, what in the world is this thing talking about? What in the world is going on? It's a story that involves David, King David. At this point in his life, he's anointed to be king, but he's not yet king. Saul is actually chasing him. But at the end of the story, David does something really strange, and, and I just found myself asking, what was David thinking. Why did he do what he did? What, what led him to this strange action? Let me tell you the story, see if you have the same kind of reaction. Let me set things up for you. Again, the story comes from 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 to 17. And, and as I set the scene, I was thinking this, this week that for most of us, we, we don't often, because we do so much electronically, we don't always think of the Bible as a book. And, and so I thought it might be interesting to just ask, where is Samuel, 2 Samuel 23 in the Bible? Okay, so I want you to imagine that, okay, we got a book here, and you're looking at it from the end, all right? So you're looking at it, you know, like this, actually like this, sideways, and uh, let's go ahead and make it larger. If this is the Bible, just to give you a little overview here, there's two parts to it. First of all, there's what we call, the, there you go ahead, Tom, give me a help there. All right, there's the, the, the top part, which we call the Old Testament, okay? It's, it's lavender there or purple, something like that. But the Old Testament is there. The bottom part is the New Testament, okay? So the Old Testament is stories before Jesus. New Testament starts with the birth of Jesus. Old Testament is 39 books. All right, New Testament is 27 books. There we are. All right. Now, you want to know where First and Second Samuel is? It's part of the Old Testament, and um, it is right about there. Hold on, there we go. There it is. First and Second Samuel, it fits into things right about there. And, and the major character in First and Second Samuel, as in any book of the Bible, is God. But the major human character, first, first and Second Samuel, is David. All right, King David. And this is primarily about him. So you can see it's a pretty good portion of the Old Testament there, a pretty good portion of the Bible. And specifically, that area just darkened is the section that talks about David. Now, there are 24 chapters in 2 Samuel, so when we get to the, to the 2 Samuel 23, we're right at the end, okay? So we're right at the end of this section that's about Samuel. We're in the Old Testament, and, and I just, for me, it's helpful to kind of visualize where that is, okay? And, and so we do that. And, and part of the reason that's important is what's happening in the story and so on. Because the storyteller has told us almost all of the David stories. He's told us about David being the, the shepherd, who took care of the flocks, who, who drove off the enemies, who cared for those sheep. He was a, a youngest of the boys in the family, and so he was out in the fields. He was a shepherd, and then he was a warrior. He was the one who, who was able to take down Goliath. You might have heard that story of David and Goliath, this giant. And, and David was a warrior, and he led the armies of Israel while Saul was king. But then also when he became king, David was the king and, and was the best king that Israel had. He united the nations. He brought everybody together. And through it all, he was the singer and he was the poet. And so the author has told us almost all of the stories of David that he's going to tell us. In fact, at the beginning of 2 Samuel 23, he says these words. These are the last words of David. And he, and he gives a song that David sang. That's what he concludes with. These are the last words of David. The stories of David are basically done. But he goes on. He's got a little more to teach us. 
a little more to tell us. Starting in verse 8, and and again, this is fascinating to me. It's as if the author said, okay, that was David. He is the king. He had his foibles, but he was also a great king. He was a wonderful person. He was a man after God's own heart. But you got to know something. Maybe I shouldn't have made this clear earlier. He says, "But, but David didn't do all of this alone. David wasn't just by himself. It wasn't just David and God, but David had help. David had, David had people around him from the very beginning. When he was running away from King Saul, when he was running away from the Philistines, David had a group of mighty men, they're called. Um, and there are 37 of them that the author wants to tell us about. Most of them, he's just going to list a name. He's got these 37 mighty men. They were the, the, the warriors. They were the ones who, was, who were with David. These were the ones who were willing to be outlaws with David, who were living in caves with David, who gave up all that they had in order to be a part of David. And they were led by the three. They were led by the three. And that's who we're going to hear about first, and they're going to be a key part of the story. Verse 8, it says this. These are the names of David, David's mighty warriors. First one, Josheb Bashabeth. Now, I don't want to have to say the name all the time. And, and, and to give you a sense that these are soldiers, again, think Rambo, right? And, and, and I don't know Rambo's real name. He's just Rambo, right? So we're going to call this one Basher. Bashabeth Basher, okay? Because that's what soldiers do. These guys are soldiers. They're warriors. He's, from, uh, he's a, a tech Mennonite. Uh, he was chief of the three. And, and this is what he did. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. This is a man's man, okay? This is a warrior. Next to him was Eliezer, the son of Dodai, the Ahohite. Now, we're going to call him Elsa, partially because guys do that to each other, but you'll see why in a minute. I'll give you a, a reason why I came up with that name. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they, and I love this, when they taunted the Philistines gathered at the past Amim for battle. So the Philistines are there, and in those days, battle was face-to-face, right? And so these guys, again, in some ways you got to think of them as, as idiots, okay? And I, I, I mean, they weren't stupid, stupid, but they were guys. And so the Philistines are gathered, and they come out, and they start to taunt. I don't know if they said your mama jokes or whatever it was, but they start to taunt the Philistines. And they're standing there, and you can see them kind of like, dude, you know, you, whatever, you, your skirts or whatever. And, 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 and then the major part of the army... <laughs> The Israelites retreated because you don't just taunt the Philistines and stick around, but not Eliezer. Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines. And he stood and he fought so long that his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. That's what the text says, that his, his muscles were so cramped up that he could not let go of the sword. So that's the text. Now here's why I give the name that. Because I imagine the other soldiers coming back and Eliezer is there and he's got, the, he's got the sword in his hand and they say to him, let it go. Let it go. And when Eliezer lets go, they start to call him Elsa. Come on, frozen, how could I not? So we have Basher, we have Elsa. And next to him was Shema, son of Aji the, the Herorite. And we'll call him Beanpole, and here's why. Uh, not because he was necessarily so tall, but when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, field full of beans. Again, Philistines are there, the same kind of story. Israel's troops fled from them, except for one of our mighty men. 
right, except for Shema, except for beanpole. He stands out in this bean field, this lentil field, in the middle of the field. He took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. So those three characters, all right, the three, Basher, Elsa, beanpole. These are the guys, again, think Rambo, think whatever, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, whatever, but these guys are tough. They're Here's the story now. During the harvest time, and, and, and this is a story that takes place again. David was anointed king, but not yet king. He was king over nothing. So Saul is chasing him, the current king, and also he's being chased by, um, by, by, by the Philistines. During the harvest time, three of the chief, 30 chief warriors, again, Basher and, and Beanpole and Elsa, came down to David at the cave of Adullam, where a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. Okay, here's the, here's the map. This is the Mediterranean Sea off to the left. These uh, different colors are the different tribes of Israel and where they're located, all right? And, and so we've got the Dead Sea down here towards the bottom. We've got the Sea of Galilee up near the top. Story with zoom in. It takes place in Judah here, in the, in the territory of Judah. This is the cave of Adullam. That's where uh, David is hiding out. And this is the valley of Rephaim over here. That's where the Philistines are, are camped, okay? And, and that's where they are. And so the three, the, the three come down from the north, and they come to join David at the cave of Adullam. At that time, verse 14, David was in the stronghold, that's the cave of Adullam, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. So there was a garrison, don't know how many troops that was, 200, 500, something like that. But the cave of Adullam, that's where David is once again, okay? All right, he's there, Valley of Rephaim, and this is where there was a garrison in Bethlehem. Now, the other reason Bethlehem is important is this is where David grew up. This is his city. This is home for him. It's about seven miles, okay? It's about seven miles from the cave where he is to Bethlehem. So David and his guys, you've got to picture the scene. They're in the cave of Adullam. Um, a lot of people believe that this is, this is probably where that cave was. And just to give you a perspective, these are, these are people down here. Okay, so this is monstrous. This is huge. And, and, and David and his soldiers would have been hiding in that cave. It was their stronghold. It was the place where nobody could get to them, right? I mean, you can defend it easily. They're up there, and they're inside. The way David was fighting in those days was basically hiding out during the day, and then he'd go out at night with his troops, with, his, with really his band of guerrilla warriors. Okay, they, they'd head out at night. So it's during the middle of the day. And I would imagine most of David's troops are, are sleeping in the back. The three have come to them, to David rather, and, and, and I imagine them sitting here near the front of the cave. And, 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 and they're doing what soldiers, I suppose, do at a time like that. They're making their strategies, but once that do, that's done, they start, to, uh, they start to just talk a little bit. They're tired, they're thirsty, they're probably a little bit hungry. And they just start to talk about what they're doing. They talk about friends, talk about family, they talk about home. And as they're talking, David says something. David gets a little nostalgic, right? I gotta believe again, soldiers do that. And David says something, kind of just a, a throwaway comment. Verse 15 David longed for water. And when he realized he was talking about home, thinking about water, he didn't want just any water. He said, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. 
You've done that sort of thing, right? You're thinking about something and you go, oh man, what I wouldn't give for one of grandma's cinnamon rolls. Oh, remember that ice cream place? We used to go there with a family. Oh man, maybe it was water. My, my folks, my grandpa had a cabin up north and no electricity. But I'll tell you, if you go there today and you pump the pump and you get water going, it's the best water ever. And it's not just the water, it's home, it's family, it's all that it means, it's everything there. So David just kind of says, man, it would be so cool, I would give anything for a drink of that water. It's the sweetest water in the world from Bethlehem. David goes to the back of the cave, I imagine, and begins to rest. And the other three, again, remember, they're guys. The other three look at each other. One of them says, are are you thinking what I'm thinking? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And, and the other says, no, 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 yeah, no, yes, yes, yes. Let's do it. Let's, let's get David a drink. And, and just imagine these three guys, they're there, right? And it's like, come on, let's go. And I don't know if anybody pointed out to them and said, come on, guys, this is stupid. It's the middle of the day. They have 200 soldiers at least in Bethlehem. They're going to guard the well above all else. And it's just a drink of water. We can get water safer places. I don't know if anybody argued it, but they, but they ended up saying, we got to do this. We got to do this. And they decide that they're going to go to Bethlehem. They're going to travel that seven, seven miles. They're going to get David water from that well near the, 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 near the gate of, of Bethlehem. And if we ask why... I want to suggest that there was one reason why they went. And I think we can understand this. Because they wanted to do something to let David know how much he means to them. How much they love him. They might not have been kind of people who are great at saying, I love you. They might have been great at saying, I'll follow you anywhere. I'm willing to lay down my life for you, man. I've never had a leader like you, and I give myself to your cause. They they, they weren't into flowery speeches, but this was their way. Saying, David, you mean the world to us. David, you are so important to us. And so they go. They, 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 they go the, the seven miles in the heat of the day to Bethlehem. They break through the lines. And, and again, you can just imagine the Philistines trying to figure out what they're doing. Because they break through the enemy lines. And, and let's just say Basher and Beanpole, they're there. They got their spears, their swords. They're holding everybody off. And here's Elsie. He's going up to the well, and he's trying to fill a flask. And he gets it full. And he says, okay, guys. And, and then they run out. And, and imagine the soldiers trying to explain that to the captain. Well, they came in, and they got a glass of water, and they left okay, it's kind of a crazy thing. So the three mighty warriors, <coughs> excuse me, broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. So they go the seven miles back, probably as fast as they could because, again, they want the water to be cold. They come back. By this time, I imagine David's awake and, and wondering where they went. I mean, they didn't tell anybody when they took off, wondering, what in the world did you guys do? Where, where have you been? And, and again, I imagine as soldiers, they probably kind of said, "Ah, you know how you complained about wanting water, and we knew you'd just kind of moan and complain all day if we didn't do something. So yeah, we went to Bethlehem. Here's here's your water. And and David knew what they were saying. (laughs) He knew what they were saying. We love you. And and we pledge our lives to you. And, and, And David, he takes this flask of water. It's still cool. It's still cold. And this is where it gets strange. It's been odd up to this point, but at this point, it's strange. 
Because David takes the water and he just pours it on the ground. He takes that water and he pours it on the ground and it just gets swallowed up by the dirt. But David refused to drink it. <clears throat> Instead, he poured it out. And, and that's where I got to the point in the story. And I said, what, what was David doing? What was David thinking? Why, why did he do this? These guys have just risked their lives. These guys have just put everything on the line in order to bring this back to David. Talk about a lack of gratitude. Talk about that. David just takes their gift and he pours it on the ground. Does David not understand what's going on? Does David not care about what they're saying? What was David doing? I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I, I, for a long time, I couldn't figure it out. And then I had a seminary professor by the name of Haddon Robinson, and he got it right, I think. You see, he said David understood. David understood what they were saying. They were totally committed to him. David cared deeply about that. He knew he needed that kind of support. He knew he needed that kind of love. But I think in that moment, when he felt the coolness of the water, as David looked into their eyes, as he saw the strength and their devotion and their commitment to him, something very important hit David in that moment. And what David realized is something you and I need to realize. And that is only God is worthy of that kind of devotion. Only God is worthy of that kind of devotion. I think David looks at it and says, these guys are, are giving their lives for me. These guys are willing to put their lives in my hands. And he says, I'm not worth it. David knows that he's not worthy of, of that kind of devotion. David knows that he is not somebody who should be trusted that much. He's not somebody who, 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 who can carry through well enough. And so David pours out the water, and he just says, no, this is not for me. This kind of stuff only goes to God. This kind of commitment only goes to God. He refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, verse 17, far be it from me, Lord, to do this. He said, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. It's a really important lesson. It's a powerful lesson. David wants his men, and David wants us to know that only God is worthy of our deepest love and devotion. Because you see, only God is not going to let us down. Only God is not going to fail us. Anything else we give our hearts to, anyone else we give our hearts to, is eventually going to eat us up and spit us out, is going to let us down, is going to fail us. And David is saying to these guys, look, I, I appreciate it, but I am not worthy of that. Give your hearts to God and God alone. Uh, maybe David was thinking of the first commandments. He would have learned those commandments growing up. But the first one that God says is, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And God doesn't give this command. Let me make this clear. God doesn't give this command because God is worried about himself. That God is worried that, that, that these people are going to find a better God than him. So don't have any other gods before me because I just need everything. As I, I need your love. No. God says this because, because he knows how tempted we are to give our hearts to the wrong things. He knows how tempted you and I are every day to put our faith to put our trust in something other than him. God says all those things are going to let you down. Think about that. Who has your heart? I mean, what are you most passionate about? What do you give your soul for? 
fact is we're tempted to do it for a variety of things. For some of us, it's possessions. It's more stuff. I mean, let's face it. It's nice to have stuff. It's nice to have money. And if we feel like if we have enough money, if we have enough stuff, then we can have security. Then we can be safe. Then we don't have to worry. If I just have enough stuff, if I have enough money, for some of us, it's power. If I just have enough power, and I will do anything so that people will respect me, that people will honor me. For some of us, it's pleasure. We're looking for a good time, whatever it is. But there are always things that we're tempted to give our hearts to, that we're willing to lay our lives on the line for our jobs, other people. And David says, don't do it. Guys, don't put your trust in me because only God can really take care of you. David knows. David knows he's not worthy of this level of devotion. And, and, and again, this is just so cool to notice. And again, Robinson notices. It hadn't did, not me. But the storyteller knows it too. I've got to show you something that is so fascinating. I didn't notice it the first time I read through it, or the second or the third. But, but what happens towards the end is, is the author, the storyteller, wants to, to give us a reminder of why David's not worth it. And here's how he does it. He, he starts to just list off the 30, okay? <laughs> Among the 30 were Asahel, the brother of Joab, and Elihanan, son of Dodo from Bethlehem, Shammah the Herodite, again, that's, um, that's beanpole, uh, Elika the, the Herodite, Helez the, the Palatite, the Hel- Peltite, uh, Ira, son of Ikesh from Tekoa, Abiezer from Anathoth, Sebekai, the Hushathite, and, and, and he just goes through all these names. And, and as you're doing right now, as I did when I read through them, uh, it's kind of like the credits at the end of the movie, right? They just kind of go through, and you just read them until you get toward the end. Ira the Ithrite, Garib the Ithrite, and then one more. You know who the last of the mighty men listed is? And Uriah the Hittite. Some of you say, oh, some of you say, well, who cares? Who's Uriah? Let me tell you why it's significant that Uriah's name is mentioned here. And again, by putting him last, the, the author wants us to notice it. It's bolding it. It's making it big. And here's why he did it, because Uriah, well, Uriah was an important person in an earlier story. Second Samuel 11 is a story. This is a story now when David has established his king. In fact, his kingdom is so secure that when it comes to springtime, uh, he sends out the soldiers, he sends out his troops, but he doesn't go to lead them this year. You know, he's put in his time, younger man's game, and David stays back. And David is on his palace roof one day. You might have heard this story. David looks down and he sees a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba taking a bath, and David wants her. And, and David knows that Bathsheba's husband is not home because Bathsheba's husband was one of the mighty men. Uriah the Hittite. You know, when I, I read the story about Bathsheba, I'd, I'd never put it together that Uriah was somebody David knew. Uriah was not just Bathsheba's husband. He was one of the mighty men. He was somebody who had fought alongside David when David was, was still fighting to be king, when David was in the caves. This guy had, had, had fought and bled and done that with David. But that didn't stop David. He wanted Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant, and David has Uriah killed. And that story is tragic, but then it's ultimately more tragic when you realize that David did this to one of his really good friends. 
David not just, didn't just kill somebody. David killed somebody who had been willing to die for him. The storyteller says, David is not worthy of that kind of devotion. See, as great as David was, as great as David was, he wasn't worthy of ultimate devotion because only God is worthy of our ultimate devotion because only God will never fail us. Friends, as we go through a new year, you're going to have to ask the question I want to close with. Who has your heart? What's worth dying for? If you look at your time, what gets the most of it? Look at your, your money, what gets the most of it? What's most important to you? I'll tell you, if you give your heart, if you put your trust, if you put your faith in anything but the one true God, if you put your heart, if you put your faith in anyone but Jesus Christ who died for you, if you give your heart to anybody, you will be lost. Because that person, that thing, whatever it is, nobody can take care of us other than the true God. Nobody can keep us safe. No one can bring us home. So who has your heart? It's a good time just to say, God, forgive me for where I've let others take your place. And let me in this year love you more than anyone else. Let's pray together. Father, we're tempted to give our hearts to a lot of things because there's some cool things that you created. There's some people who've made a huge difference in our lives. We're tempted to say, I want to just do whatever they say. There's some things that make us feel really good. We're tempted to say, I'd do anything for those things. I'd do anything for that experience. I'd do anything for this. But Father, Father, remind us that you're the only one that's worthy of our doing anything for. Thanks for forgiving us when we fail that. It's for washing away the times when we've given our hearts to other things and other people. And Father, help us. Help us to be more faithful each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing, benediction. Again, following our service, if you'd like to pray with someone from Hillside, there will be some folks in the prayer room to that side of the auditorium. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with you, and may you put your faith in him and him alone. Go in God's grace. Amen.